Hello folks, uh, this is Apple Treats and uh, today we will have an interesting episode and we will talk on the future of Combine with Marine Todorov. Irina, hi. Uh, hi, Marine. hi everybody. Uh, welcome Marine. Uh, can you give light intro of yourself firstly? Hey, hey, hi Dennis. Hi Irina. Um, so my name is Marin and uh, I've been doing a lot of... Um, a lot of interesting things, I think, um, in the last 10 years on Apple platforms. I worked uh, on iOS software. I worked on macOS software. And um, besides developing, I really like um, writing as well. So uh, I worked on a number of books uh, with um, my friend Ray Wendlick, who's got a publishing website for tutorials, books, uh, video courses, and so forth. And um, yeah, I worked on interesting contracts and I worked on a lot of open source. But um I guess we can delve like into all of these topics uh, as we go along. Thank you for inviting me. That was really nice. <laughs> yes, thank sure. you for coming. So, uh, let's start with a topic that uh, I think pretty close to you. Do you think that uh, reactive uh, functional programming is stylish? <laughs> well, is it stylish? Um, do you mean if it's fashionable or if it's like beautiful? Oh, like a uh, good uh, look and feel and uh, so on. <laughs> right. Um, I, I think, I think I really liked it. Like the, I think the, I think the first time I really understood what it's all about, which was, which it took me a while, but after I understood what it's all about, I really, uh, I really thought it was uh, a very smart way to, to direct data, um, flow around your app. And I really find it. It's, it's really great. Um, it's a really great way to express what you want to achieve instead of how you want to achieve it. Right. Um, <clears throat> So when did you actually uh, uh, learned or like started using the uh, reactive uh, approaches? Right. So I, I so I did go to a lot of conferences um, in in the last five years, I think, um, or rather, last five years I didn't go to as many as the previous five years. Well, there was a period where I was to a lot of conferences, and uh, <laughs> and I kept seeing um, introduction to Rx and introduction to Rx Swift talks, and I really didn't get it quite quite like instantly um but it did sound interesting and and uh it, it did look exciting so i think around mid i think it was mid 2015 i started with arc swift uh i met an interesting um person online who then i get to know in real life uh called florent pilet he's from nice in france and um he helped me get started with arc swift at the time and uh, the the Slack, the Arc Swift Slack, was really really full of um, interesting and very helpful people. So they got me started, and uh, as soon as I got rolling with it, I also started helping in the Slack as well. So um, it was, I think it's, a, it's it's not so easy to get started with. There's like a little bit of a steep hill to get like rolling, um, and so that's why everybody, especially in the Slack, were were so helpful because everybody knows like how hard are the first few steps, uh, and they're really eager to help. Right. So you, you mentioned, uh, Rick Swift and, uh, well, recently, uh, Apple introduced their own version of the, uh, reactive framework. So they introduced combine. Uh, how do you, I mean, do you think they like win the competition here? Like, how do you compare it? And there was, there were a lot of com uh, comparisons when the combine was introduced. Some, some people, uh, tried to compare the performance, the operators themselves. And like we have, Rick Swift, we have Reactive Swift, we have 
reactive kit and I probably missed some more reactive frameworks there. How would you compare them? I mean, like, did Apple great job here or uh, they need to do something more? How do you think? Right. I think that for the, I think that, I think that most of, well, first of all, I think we have to look back. The very, very first reactive implementation was the one that was written for .NET. And this was quite a long time ago. I don't really remember. It was 2006 maybe or so, or, well, it was a long time ago. Um, and kind of like the guys at, and gals at Microsoft are the ones who kind of like came up with this idea and they kind of like wrote um, the spec of what the contract of emitting values over time is and how would it work. Uh, and they had the first implementation, which then became open source as well. So I think that if we have a look at like a bunch of different reactive frameworks, they all kind of like stem from this kind of like same root. So they, they are not so different, I think. Um, and if there's somebody out there listening and is really convinced <laughs> that they're very different, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just like how I feel like since they all like kind of sprouted from like the same um, stencil, uh, I think they're very similar. Right. So yeah, having experience with RX Swift really helped me get started like instantly with combined. So, um, you know, things are very similar. And, and, and in terms of performance, I haven't really run any tests myself. I can't really say um, who's faster and who's slower. Um, but I think that like every, like back, back for, from where, where I come from, there is like this proverb that there's a passengers for every train for whatever reason, like people thought it was very clever. And so, and so I think that, I think that like some people will use reactive Swift, other people will use Eric Swift. Um, and there's a whole, like, the, like we cannot deny that there's a, a huge crowd, which will not use, uh, you know, larger third dependencies. Uh, third-party dependencies. So I think combined answer mostly their needs. Uh, you know, there were people that would use reactive program, but would never really base their project on a third-party framework. So um, I think they're all lot nice. I had a look at like most of them and they're pretty fairly similar. Uh, combine is you winning with that crowd that wouldn't use the, the dependent large dependencies. Uh, uh, but I know that um, other large applications that have existed for a while are still actively using RxSwift and they're also contributing back to the repo as well. Um, so I can't really say if there's a clear winner or not. Or ha have you looked into that um, or? Um, well, I, I looked a couple of articles in terms of, uh, in initially there were like comparisons with the RxSwift and they were like saying that there are similar issues with the RxSwift and they are like basically migrated to the combine, but also, um, there were a couple of tests in terms of like performance when you like send thousands of events and everything. And here combined was a clear winner for like for many of the tests. So probably that's the, um, uh, well, value types instead of classes there. And may maybe that helps. I, I don't know. I mean, but as of now, I see that we still have a lot of projects with Eric Swift. I mean, basically bef because they like still using it and, uh, one more thing which I liked is the open combine implementation, which is now available on the GitHub. So 
they they are even trying to like put the combine on the platforms which do not have like native combine but you have swift for example on linux they will use the open combine implementation and uh when you push that to the uh build that on the platforms with the um, uh, foundation and apple's frameworks it will use the, the native combine let's say native so it's kind of interesting but what troubles me uh when i was watching like uh, last dub dub dc uh there was literally zero sessions with combine <laughs> and it seems that either they forgot or like there are two options like basically the combine is perfect and uh there's nothing to do more nothing to improve and like just like watch the previous one and it's it's a, or should we somewhat prepare to like migrating from the combine or even from the reactive uh, approaches altogether i mean like we, we do not we don't we do now have structured concurrency we have a sync streams and everything so it's is it a sign of something like coming like the combined was but it's like sh very short lived in, in this case like it's like it was announced just a couple of years ago and that's it that's too sad i think <laughs> well i don't think that it's not necessarily like combined is going away um but i do think that Especially, I think a sync sequence and async stream are, to a bigger degree, uh, replacing simple use cases of uh, publishers. So, you know, if you if you just have one publisher which emits values and you just want to uh, subscribe that and uh, do something else uh, with the values uh, asynchronously, I think that's there's no need to, uh, um, you know, bring in combine for that um, anymore. But um, first. Um, Structured concurrency is supported on Mac OS 12 and iOS 15 and higher. And so if you want to write reactive apps right now, you still need to fall back on Combine. Um, and also, I think Combine offers um, a lot more out of the box. Uh, so with async stream and async sequence, you have to do a lot yourself if you want to you know, build like a complex app or like if you want to run a complex UI. Um, you still need to do a lot yourself, build your operators or build your publisher and so forth while well, combine is is uh offers a lot more out of the box so i think that not necessarily combine is going away uh, it would probably be used for more complex projects and and, and most apps are not complex projects i must say that <laughs> most apps are you know you fairly fairly easy just fetch some json from the internet show it on screen and allow yep. the users to make changes and so forth but uh, I think this kind of apps are probably never, never needed combined in the first place anyway. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so I think they, they have their solution now with like the news casing stuff and, uh, yeah. maybe, you know, like very complex UIs could still make good use of combined. And, you know, like I was thinking this morning about this real quick and, uh, I remembered about, um, Sprite Kid when, um, Apple first introduced it. I think it was iOS 7. Um, and so they introduced it like kind of like, polished and, and ready to use. And then I think for about two years, they didn't really introduce any new APIs to that framework um, because it kind of like answered their, probably answered their first idea that they, that they needed before. Uh, and then they found like new applications for a framework like that. And they started that and more and more <laughs> like after a two year gap uh, when they found like that, when they came up with the, uh, uh, what was it? There was like this, Gravity fields that oh, you can okay. like uh, siphon um, uh, particle systems into, and then like, these gravity fields will like <laughs> throw them away, create very crazy effects, and so forth. So, 
you know, maybe, uh, maybe now we didn't have big updates for combined for a couple of years um, because teams were focused on other things, uh, but they will find something, some other application for it um, later on. Just speculations though, but. Um, right, right, right. We also yeah. have uh, one comment from our uh, viewers, listeners. <laughs> so they basically say that there are rumors. I mean, I, I do not know about those, but there are rumors that the combine was actually already uh, back in 2014 when the Swiss was uh, introduced. And, uh, well, it probably was not ready for the, the like, rollout. They, so it was ready internally. And um, maybe it was evolving during that time. And that's why it's just perfect now. <laughs> but who knows? I can say either way, yeah. but uh, it's it's true that Apple oftentimes yeah. works on things for a really long time. So yeah. maybe yeah. who knows? It actually could be. Uh, so uh, uh, reactive approach is a nice way to write code, but uh, are there some downsides uh, of this? Some typical issues and um, hard to debug uh, problems and so on. Do you have a list of such uh, common issues? I do have, you know, <laughs> I do have a list of, of things that are not so fairly easy. Um, I, I Is think it that, worse? <laughs> uh, I think that's a great question. I think that's that's really, I think it, it, it strikes a nerve there um, with, with uh, a lot of people because, um, because um, from what I've seen, I think with reactive frameworks, it's, it's, it's easy to solve some fairly complex problems, uh, but it's also easy to uh, make some fairly easy problems completely difficult to solve. And so, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that that one should use reactive frameworks as, as little as possible. Um, and so only like when they really fit the use case, uh, because I've seen like, I've seen like code bases that try to use, uh, you know, everything, just for everything to use, uh, Combine or Arc Swift, uh, and so you know they will like tangle all the view controllers as as streams and uh, all the inputs in the controllers as streams and and all the events as streams and all the you know handling UI um, events as streams and also all the notifications that you get like from uh, I don't know uh, screen rotation or or other things as notification as as, as um, streams uh, and so I think at what point first the uh, uh, performance degrades real quick. Um, and second, it's really difficult to maintain this database um, because um, once everything is tangled like into one big knot, um, it's really difficult to jump in a database into this uh, source base like later on and just uh, you know make changes and so. Um, and so my approach is to you know, use navigation or use notifications as much as possible. But then um, things like uh, handling handling uh, network responses or um, you know binding a data model to the to the to a table list and things like this. You know, these simple use cases that um, I know that work fairly well and are really quick to write. Um, these ones I always do them with with reactive code. But like I don't try to like do everything with with combiner arcs. Um, and so I think this is one of the problems that, that is really bad, you know, um, pitfall for uh, especially people who are beginners with Reactive. 
and I, I would agree it's sometimes like tempting to do everything in this chain of processing of the events and uh then you get stuck somewhere there and uh see like uh in, in case of problem you you see the call stack uh like i don't know hundreds of lines there and <laughs> you basically get lost where where exactly the event comes from and everything but uh yeah we know you as the author of uh time lane and this is the tool which basically uh like specifically created to solve problems with the reactive calls uh, am i right first of all like what 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 problems does it solve? Like, what, what what was in your mind? What what you was trying to solve when you created the timeline? Right. So exactly exactly what you said. Like just now, um, you know, when when you have, especially when you have like a bunch of streams that also depend on each other or somehow like interact with each other, um, it's, it's really difficult to debug. Um, you know, what events were emitted, when they were emitted, and like uh, were uh, then subscriptions completed or did they fail? And so on and so on. So it's not really obvious what's going on, but it's also like time sensitive. So it's not really also something that you can just step through in the debugger um, real easy. So this is why um, I've um, worked on Timelane. And so Timelane is an Xcode instrument. Um, so instruments uh, allows for custom instruments to be written and loaded into Xcode instruments. So you can use them alongside any other instrument uh, to, to profile your application. And so Timelane allows you to um, add the lane operator to any subscription. And then this will be visualized on a timeline uh, in instruments with all the values that you emit and all the events that you emit. And so you can plot like a bunch of subscriptions and then see you know, how they were positioned um, in regard to each other on, on a timeline uh, and like what values were emitted, which ones were error complete and so forth and so forth. So kind of like when you are ex exactly when you're in this situation where you're not sure what's going on and, and you really need to figure out like what's going on, but you don't want to write hundreds of prints in your code. <laughs> um, this is the situation the timeline solves for. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you compare Timelane uh, to signpost logs? Right. So Timelane is basically a, a, a glorified signpost instrument. And so with, with a signpost, you will just um, log either time intervals or values um, in, into instruments. This, this is what signposts allow you to do. Uh, and, and this is exactly what also Timelane does. It's just that Timelane has um, these couple of um, operators that you can use on your combined publishers or on your Rx Swift publishers, on your reactive Swift code and so forth. And so these operators make it really easy to, you know, funnel the data into instruments. But uh, it does use signpost logs behind the scenes. It just makes it uh, transparent for you so you don't have to write this code yourself. Okay. Um, let's switch topics now a bit uh so we, we already mentioned the structured concurrency and uh other stuff coming uh coming in here um for the apple platforms but we still have a lot of um e even when combine was introduced a lot of apis are still using the completion handlers and now again well we see that the probably the url session is actually one of the uh, frameworks which gets most of the attention so it got publishers when the combine was introduced and now they have um, async methods for the data retrieval but again a lot of other frameworks are still like uh, completion handler based 
and uh, some combines and how 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 do you think how long it will take to move to the new uh like this structured concurrency thing basically and we um i was reading the forums and it seems that well again probably the decision is not yet made but it might be that we will not see the backport of the uh, async await to the iOS 14 or 13. So again, that limits a lot uh, what we can do with the with it right now. So how, again, how do how how long it will take to adopt the uh, this approach from your perspective? Right. I think that's a fair question. I think that is a very. I mean, it's inconvenient for for existing products that um, these new asynchronous features are not backported. Um, of course, I mean, this, I, I feel it for for folks who need to support like a project that is, I don't know, runs um, three, four versions back. Uh, I mean, they cannot really even use combined, so it shouldn't no. be such a big um, um, surprise for them. But uh, <laughs> um I think if I, I think it's it's fair to compare it with SwiftUI. You know, SwiftUI came out um, and it could do some things very well, um, but I think we, I think developers uh, as a whole didn't know how to use it, and also I think Apple didn't really, you know, have a have a this wholesome idea of like what exactly everything will be. Um, when SwiftUI came out, um, you could use it in production, but um, I heard that a lot of people had issues with that too, um, and so I expect that probably the concurrency is, is, is you know in a, in a similar state. You know, um, currently it does a few things really well, um, but we're first like we're now to like find out the best way to use them uh, in in a, in, a, in, a, in a correct way as well. Because I've I have I've watched all the concurrency related videos and I have. I think 2000 words of notes on like <laughs> everything that I've seen in the videos and like I'm working through them slowly, slowly, but I don't have like a clear idea right now how to sit down and, and like write a complete app that is, that is based on the, on the new concurrency features. So I, I think it's fair to say two years, right? So next <laughs> year we're going to, we're going to do a, a solid iteration. And then after that, um, when, you know, when, when also, uh, long running products could, use the new features i think then it will be completely ready to, to use by everyone so uh, to sum things up probably the combined book which you are co-author of or after of uh is, is still relevant and uh, it still be relevant for like at least a couple of years and we, we will not be migrating from the combined like just right now <laughs> right so so there are four authors in the combined book um yeah. me florent pillet uh, Shai Michali and um, 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 Scott Gardner. And so um, I think it's still relevant for at least a while, right? Um, yeah. But um, I mean, that's the problem with, with, with like being in IT, right? Like things are changing fairly quickly. So um, you gotta like, you gotta make a good bet on like, what are you going to learn and use right now? So you're sure that it goes um, it goes in your CV well for another few years and also that your product is being easy to support for, for at least a while, you know. Right. Uh, okay. And we have uh, some information that you was were involved in a, one project that um, was in, uh, discussed during WWDC. Uh, can you share something with us? Right. So 
I was a contractor for Apple for a while, and uh, I was on a team that this year released um, Doxy for Xcode. And so Doxy for Xcode is a documentation compiler that uh, produces an Apple-like style of documentation for your own frameworks. Um, it compiles all the uh, in-source documentation. Uh, you can extend it with Markdown um, documentation. You can write, you can create those, you know, probably everybody has seen uh, these uh, interactive SwiftUI tutorials on, on Apple's website. So you can create this kind of, this kind of tutorials as well uh, in Xcode for your own um, frameworks. And so I worked on the compiler. Okay. Uh, uh, so it's uh, primary will be people used to, uh, interesting to them if they do their framework, not just us uh, usual uh, um, project. Right. So I'm, I'm not so sure if, if Doxy for Xcode currently works with um, Xcode projects. Um, I'm not even sure. Like I, I, I got to check, mm -hmm. but I think that the primary um, use case is for uh, packages uh, or frameworks that have a documentation catalog. Uh, and so, you know, something that, well, you know, if you look at Apple's own documentation, uh, you have all the frameworks. Uh, and so their documentation is structured in, in a certain way, you know, like this, you have the landing page for each framework and then like the documentation is structured in a certain way so that people can uh, relatively easy find information for types, but also like find these articles and, and, and code samples inside and so forth. So it's, it's a richer experience. It's like a more educational experience than just, you know, like reference docs. Um, and so I think that the, that the primary target group is probably people who, you know, run open source projects or maybe big companies that have like their own projects inside. Um, and they would like writing documentation for these, these, uh, so that people who consume those, uh, have a way to learn about them, um, and, uh, use them correctly. Right. Um, in, and it's even called the compiler. I, um, I was not yet able to test everything there, but. Uh, I, I understand that it will help to maintain the documentation in a proper way. So it will like warn if you're, uh, like have some problems with the, with the references and everything. But, uh, what, one thing I wasn't able to check, do, do you know, maybe do you know, uh, will it warn me if I, for example, add a new parameter to a method and not document it? Will it warn me as a developer or is this still something to be, uh, expected later? Right. So. That sounds like a great idea. I'm not so sure if there's a warning like that right now. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm not so sure. Okay. It will warn well, you about a lot of things. So, you know, yeah. as you said, if you, if you write a, a wrong link or, um, if you, yeah, if there's a whole bunch of, of different warnings you can trigger, of course. Um, but so yeah, that the, and this is all integrated into Xcode. So, um, it helps you basically write a good documentation for, for your project. Um, so like continuing this topic, uh, I believe it was announced that the Doxy will be open sourced, uh, sometime into the future, right? Uh, yeah. In one of the sessions on WWDC it was announced that it's going yeah. to be open source. And this, this is why, this is what I was thinking when I was <laughs> answering the previous question. You yeah. know, like, it sounds like a good idea to have a warning like that. So if there isn't one, you know, like and everyone can, um, you know, open an issue, open a PR, and add the warning um, in. And it it seems that it might also like help with the adoption of the Doxy, like 
it, it, when, when it's more open and more people can uh, add their own features, it probably might help. Yeah. At least I hope so. <laughs> right. Well, you know, once Doxy is open source, um, people can do whatever they want. I mean, they can fork in, you know, like take it in a completely yeah. different direction if they want to, or, you know, like remove a bunch of stuff or add a bunch of stuff or, um, you know, they can do whatever they want as, as, um, as long as they, of course, conform to the open source license, uh, they can do whatever they want. So I, I hope that they will find, you know, use cases for, for Doxy and, uh, in like the whole myriad of, of, of situations. Uh, I hope so. I mean, it was all the work I would like to people, you know, to, to get value out of it. And would you add something to Doxy, some features, uh, like, uh, there isn't something within? Right. Um, I don't know. I didn't have time to, to think about this just yet. <laughs> um, I'm currently taking like a long break. So, uh, I think, I think first I need to relax a little bit and then I can think about, um, and, and of course I want to wait until, uh, the time that Doxy is actually open source. So, uh, right. you know, I could take it for a spin for my own, uh, projects and so forth. I'm. I have one uh, like feature I would like to be added to Doxy later on, like probably as soon as possible when it was open source. Is the idea that I will not need the re rewrites when I publish the documentation on the web server. So I believe, yeah, that like most of platforms probably will be able to handle that. But that's something still like kind of like I would prefer something like as you do in some uh, graphic editors like press like export for web and it creates a like web package which I just get put to the site and do nothing more and it just works. Hope uh, that's and it feels that there might be some uh, uh that other developers might want that too. So it might be somewhere in the plans of when it's open sourced or like maybe before that, I don't know. Like let's hope so. All right, yeah. I, I saw Paul Hudson sharing on Twitter that he was working already on something like that. Um just a converter. Oh okay, um, yeah just a converter like a command line tool but as soon as 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 the source is open i guess that it wouldn't really take him a long time to uh, do that yeah right. uh so we can see that you have a lot of activities uh contractor work uh, uh, conferences workshops uh, open source development um can you give some advices uh, how to manage uh, uh maybe use uh, some time management tools Oh, how how do you manage to do all this? <laughs> right. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I really, you know, this this is this is a good question. I don't really have an answer for it. Like something like prepared to say. Um, I, I don't use a lot of like um, productivity tools at all. I have personally for myself. I have like a Trello board where I just keep like a a list of ideas or projects that I'm working on. Um, in my calendar for things that are you know fixed in time but uh i think that's it um i don't really i don't i can't really give like a lot of a lot of advice probably my only advice would be like to to focus on on things that are that are more value um because i've seen like some people would do a lot of small things that just distract them all the time and just switching like context switching will like eat all their time um, and so they have like a time management problem. Um, I focus on just very few things at a time, um, very few projects. Uh, and so like, I will just have like 
a couple or three, um, but they will be larger and longer running. And this helps me um, avoid a lot of context switching um, and just be focused. Yeah, if that sounds um, reasonable. <laughs> well, yeah. So that, that's actually an interesting idea. I mean, like f uh, to focus uh, the number of things you are like uh, doing actively. I mean, yeah, that's that's actually a good advice. I think um, we we know that you write books. So what does inspire you doing that? And uh, like probably one more question, like in the follow up to that. How do you fight with procrastination if that's the case for you? I mean, we, we don't know, but like if you are to write a book, if, uh, I mean, even like to write something, it's, sometimes it's like, it's really hard to start and like to push yourself to actually doing that. And how do you work with that? <laughs> right. So, so first of all, um, I think, I think for, for, for many is diff it's difficult to, um, to work on a book because they just do it for the first time. And, uh, you know, like, when I was working on my first book, it was also very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, it was just trial and error, um, the whole time. But, um, as I said, I'm working with my friend Ray, uh, and his publishing, um, publishing company for, I think it was 2011 when we worked on iOS 5 by tutorials. Um, that was the first project together, uh, with him and a few more, few more people. And so it has been 10 years now. Um, and, since I worked on a whole a whole bunch of projects like that, I think just the repetition has has um, has me into a certain um, what do you call like a track where you know once the once the wheels got on the got on the tracks, then like everything runs smoothly. Uh, but uh, I think the biggest benefit of of working with them is that um, you know with a real publishing house is that um, they have you know an editor. Uh, who, who makes sure that the English is, um, you know, pleasant. There's a technical editor whose only role is to, uh, go over your code and make sure that, you know, like all the APIs are correctly used, uh, goes into the documentation, checks this, everything, you know, like checks out what you're saying and so forth and so forth. There's a, an artist who, um, you know, takes your doodles and makes them into like proper illustrations and so forth. And so, um, in the end, like my role as an author is to, come up with um, real life examples and then, you know, write, you know, the accompanying text to, to, to the code, but like, this is everything that I'm focusing on. And so it's kind of like the same as what I was just saying before, like I'm focusing on what I can do and then everything else is just taken by taking care of other people. Uh, and so, um, as I said, once it starts going, then it re it's really like rolling. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's always, probably nicer to go to the beach and have like a cocktail <laughs> or whatever. But, uh, um, the thing is that since I don't, um, but that doesn't really, you know, like sets me back with, with work. Um, uh, one question that can't me leave alone, uh, always, I'm always thinking about it. Who and how chooses an animal for a cover for books? <laughs> Nicely spotted. So, so each book, um, in the current catalog of, of Ray's website has an animal in front. And so, uh, all the, all the iOS related books. Oh, I don't know if that's secret or not. Um, so the, oh, <laughs> I mean, everybody can figure it out if they have a look at the catalog. So all the iOS books have a, uh, water kind of animal on the, on the front and all the Android books have an air kind of animal on the front. And so usually the, 
when, if there's an, one author, then he picks the animal. And if there's more authors, then there's a meeting to discuss. Um, and so for the combined book, we have a, an ice bear, um, a polar bear on the, on the cover, which we had to research in Wikipedia and find out it's actually considered a water animal <laughs> because, you know, it dies and so forth and so forth. So we, so we had to make a case with the illustrator and artist that it is in fact a water animal. So we got the, the cover. Uh. Okay. Is it uh, like... Uh... Mm, uh, covers one of my gestalts. <laughs> now I know <laughs> how it's chosen. And um, so, mm, do you have some nostalgia of Objective C? Uh, because it looks like all the new features and frameworks um, uh, go away from it. Right. So I did. I did. I did use Objective C for for um, since 2009 till 2014. That's five years now. Um, and if you look at the dates, I uh, mean, I've been using, I think, lo Swift longer now than Objective-C. And I know when, when Swift came out, I didn't feel that I needed a different language. But now that Swift is here, I feel like, yeah, that's actually much, much better. So I don't have, I don't have any kind of nostalgia. Um, there were fun things that you could do with Objective-C. Objective-C. Um, <laughs> that you can't really do with, with, with Swift. And I'm talking mostly about like, um, introspection and, you know, dynamic, like all kind of dynamic stuff and so forth. But, uh, I don't really, I don't really miss that. Um, I mean, I think Swift has a lot more newer and more interesting features like structured concurrency, uh, that I'd much rather have. Um, so no, no, I'm no, I don't have nostalgia about this. Why is there, is there many people that are still nostalgic about the, what? Oh, I think it's uh, it's polarized. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. are a lot of people who are, who are new to Objective C and they were scared of the braces when you uh, like uh, parentheses or everything like ever like and the long method names and that was something like uh, there were a lot of discussions everywhere. But now like they are all probably all gone and uh, like Swift is closer to other languages in terms of syntax and therefore. There are a lot of less talks of that. Uh, but the labs for students, I know they start to study from Objective-C. They have a few lessons in the beginning uh, still. Yeah. Uh, like to understand the core, uh, some memory management issues. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, Objective-C roots back into, what is it, C, which is, I mean, it's, it's just... Yeah. I'm not saying that it's not valuable right now. I'm just saying that um, the Swift is modern and um, it's more suited to like the types of problems that we're solving right now. Is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's safer at least. And I believe like with the Swift Six, which again they promised that it will be like the road to avoid uh, uh, trading errors. So it's something like the language with the constructs which will protect from the trading errors. That's something like good goal to to work towards, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really excited for Swift 6. Uh, really looking forward. I hope that it doesn't really, you know, like I have this backstory with like, I, I was really into programming with Perl um, some time ago, like 20 years ago or so. <laughs> and then... It always like Swift six, uh, Pearl Six will always coming and always coming and always coming. <laughs> it's a long story. Well, it's a sad story. So I hope that we're doing better than Pearl in that sense. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, 
And that's actually concludes our episode. Uh, thank you for coming. That was a really, really interesting discussion. And we all even had some ex- insights in terms of the animals and the books and <laughs> anything else and uh, some, something else. For all our listeners and uh, viewers, we will come back in two weeks. And uh, as again, for now, thank you for coming. And uh, we wish you luck with the probably new book coming soon. With Maybe that will be something on the structured concurrency. Who knows? <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. I mean, let me write it down. Okay, Okay, thank you. Um, Thank you, and uh, goodbye. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Thank you for everyone for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye.